Don't you just love unsolicited advice? You know, the person in your life who comes up to you and, and begins to tell you everything you need to do. What are they doing by offering that advice? And they're suggesting to you that they know better than you, or at least that they have great wisdom and knowledge. Maybe they're assuming a little bit of a, of a role of authority over you. This is what I said you need to do. You need to do it. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, in a way, were offering unsolicited advice to the people of Israel. God had not established the Pharisees as a leader of the people. The Old Testament law did not speak of Pharisees, but they are a group that developed over the, the, the one or two centuries before Jesus' life. And they were kind of seen by everyone of Israel as these are the great teachers. So maybe it wasn't so unsolicited after all. But when we come to John chapter 10, Jesus speaks about being the good shepherd, leading the people. Really, he's making a contrast in the minds of the people of Israel between the shepherds that the Pharisees were and the shepherds that God wanted for his people. And he's recalling in their minds perhaps the idea of the shepherds and the shepherd that God speaks about in Ezekiel chapter 34. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to John chapter 10. And we want to look at this idea of Jesus as the good shepherd in contrast to the Pharisees. And so we want to begin by thinking about who were the Pharisees and Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees. We, wanted to, we want to notice how Jesus is that good shepherd. And we want to think about the awesome responsibility of shepherding God's flock today. What does that mean for Benbrook Church of Christ? Let's begin by thinking about Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees. Oftentimes we look at John chapter 10 and his description of being the good shepherd, and sometimes we miss that really what's going on here is Jesus' conversation with the blind man of John chapter 9 and those who were nearby and the actions, the teachings of the Pharisees. In John chapter 9, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he heals a blind man and and people bring him before the chief priests and the leaders and the Pharisees because Jesus does this on the Sabbath day. How is it that you were healed on the Sabbath day? They want to know. All of chapter 9 is talking about that. But at the very end of chapter 9, verse 40 and 41, it says, Those of the Pharisees who were with him, that is, heard, with Jesus, heard, him, uh, heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sins remain. So the conversation that takes place in, what, in the verses that follow in John chapter 10 is really Jesus carrying on a conversation with these two uh, individuals. And so notice what takes place. Jesus is talking with them. John chapter 10, verse 1. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. They've climbed up some other way into their position of leadership. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them away, or snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my Father. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of a demon-possessed man. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? The context of Jesus' discussion of the good shepherd is the context of him healing the blind man in John chapter 9 and the interaction between this man explaining how he was healed on the Sabbath day. That Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day and the teachings of the traditions of the Pharisees who said, you can't do that. And they throw him out of the synagogue. The blind man that has now been healed. And Jesus is addressing that role of authority that the Pharisees have, and he's making a contrast between their leadership and his. Between their authority and his. This is one of several confrontations we see between Jesus and the Pharisees throughout Scripture. And so who are these Pharisees? The confrontation began, like I said, because Jesus heals the blind man on the Sabbath. John chapter 9, verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. They questioned this man. Who was this man that healed you? And you can, and I have, done separate studies just to John chapter 9, and you see this man's faith grow from uh, he was a great man to he was a prophet to at the end of the chapter he acknowledges Jesus as being the Messiah. 
But in verse 17, the blind man simply answers the Pharisees by saying, uh, or they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. By the end of the chapter, he sees Jesus as being the Messiah. But you see, the prophet, the, the Pharisees, they, they said, who is this guy that he's healing you on the Sabbath day? How could it be that someone who claims to be from God is healing on the Sabbath day? Because everybody knows you shouldn't do that. And they use their man-made authority to make the blind man, who is now able to see, an outcast, and they kick him out of the synagogue. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they put him out. John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? When it says that they put him out, that means that they put him out of the synagogue. They had expelled him from the Jewish community because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. If you grew up worshiping and going to church, you are probably familiar with the Pharisees, but maybe some are not. We sometimes hear that they were overly concerned with following the traditions and very conservative, and that's somewhat true, but it's actually rather a simplistic description of them. The Pharisees were extremely strict regarding laws of purity. But from a first century Jewish perspective, uh, they were somewhat progressive in the sense that they recognized the prophets as being a legitimate authority, whereas the Sadducees looked only to the first five books of the Old Testament. They were progressive in the sense that they saw the Old Testament law as being something that could be modified and changed over time through the interpretation by the scribes. And so they bound those interpretations of the rabbis and the scribes as being just as legitimate as the Old Testament law itself. In fact, the phrase that uh, was used in the Jewish community is the phrase, the twin pillars of the Pharisaic system. The Torah and the traditions. The law of Moses, found in Scripture, and then the teachings of the rabbis, or the or interpretations of the rabbis. And they sound, began to view the teachings of the rabbis and the Pharisees as being just as valid and even more important than the law itself. In fact, one Jewish text says it is more culpable to teach against the ordinances of the scribes than against the Torah itself. In other words, by the time that Jesus' day came around, the teachings of the rabbis, the teachings of the Pharisees were considered more important than the law itself. And we might blame them for that. But think about how easy we do this. How easily we can do this as human beings. You read a text of Scripture and you say, well, what does that mean? And so someone you trust interprets that. Well, I think that means this. And you begin to follow that. Well, that's what the Jews had been doing since the days of, of Zechariah, or since the days of, uh, of Zechariah and the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah, I mean, and the Israel and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple. They looked to the scribes, the teachers, the ones who recorded the law as being experts in it. And they began to trust their interpretations. 
And those things must be true. And, and that's what was, what was happening in Jesus' day. And so when we look in the Mishnah, which is, which is the written record of, of those interpretations after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, one of the passages is the, the Shabbat, chapter 14 and verse 4, that talks about healing on the Sabbath day. It says, He who is concerned about his teeth may not suck vinegar through them. Because that would be healing on the Sabbath day. You have bad teeth, you need some relief, you suck some vinegar through there, you've calmed that pain. You can't suck the vinegar through your teeth because that's healing. But it goes on to say, but he who dunks his bread in a normal way, and if he is healed, he who is concerned about his loins, which give him pain, he may not anoint them with wine or vinegar, but he anoints with oil, not rose oil, that's okay. So in other words, if you take vinegar or just suck it through your teeth to heal your aching teeth, isn't this great, right before lunchtime? You know, if you do that, that's healing. You can't do that. That's working on the Sabbath day. But if you go to Olive Garden and you dip your bread in some of the, uh, the salad dressing that has vinegar in it, and you eat that bread, well, that's just a natural way to eat. That's not labor. That's okay. That was an interpretation of the law. Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath day. And so when Jesus has his many confrontations with the Pharisees over his healing, it always takes place on the Sabbath day because in their mind, Jesus was doing labor. And they're missing the point that Jesus is saying, it's okay to heal someone. That's not labor. You go out and you pull your donkey, you pull your, your cow out of the ditch when he falls in the ditch. You don't consider that work. And yet you consider healing a person's body to be labor. The Old Testament said nothing about defining healing as labor. But the interpretation of the Pharisees had made it that. You see, they had set themselves in the role of authority and unsolicited advice. And we can sometimes do the same thing today. We need to be very careful that we don't make our interpretations of Scripture, Scripture. As Jesus begins his analogy of a sheepfold or a pen, he's basically calling the Pharisees thieves. Look at this again, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Again, the Pharisees weren't in that position of authority because the law or God or prophecy had ever placed them in that position of authority. Things had just naturally occurred through human politics to put them in that place. Most of the scribes belonged to this political party, the Pharisees. And because the scribes had the duty of writing down the law, they became experts in what the law said. They interpreted those, and the people looked to them with reverence in their knowledge of the law. And so oftentimes we see in the scripture the Pharisees and the, and the scribes together, they are almost synonymous. And so they had climbed up some other way. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. The Pharisees were in that position not because of God's authority, but because of their own. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
Jesus is saying those Pharisees who have placed them pos- themselves in the position of authority and are seen as having authority in the Jewish community, they have ill-gotten motives. And you look at the totality of the New Testament, you see how Jesus talks about the fact that they enjoy the, the reverent greetings in the marketplace. They like being able to go to someone's dinner party and they get the seat of honor because you're a scribe, you're knowledgeable in the law, you sit here. And they enjoyed all of those things. And they began to abuse their position and how people perceived them. Jesus says, there's something different with me. And that is, I'm not concerned about any of those things. I'm not concerned about the authority. I'm not concerned about the power. I'm concerned about your life. Those people come to control and to destroy your life. I come to save your life and to give you life. And so this was the confrontation that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And as he has this confrontation, he now develops this analogy of of himself as being the good shepherd. He says that as a good shepherd, his sheep hear his voice and they choose to follow him. Jesus leads them. Rather than forced herding, they walk behind him. It's kind of like what we were talking about in class today. Jesus didn't come and say, you have to be a Christian, you have to follow me. I'm going to make you follow me. He wants people to choose to follow him. He wants people to hear his voice and say, that is the way, and I will follow it. Now, that's not to say that if you choose not to, there aren't consequences for that. That's the day of judgment. But Jesus says, people are going to hear my voice, and they're going to recognize who I am, and they're going to choose to follow me, those that belong to me those that are going to be mine. And they're naturally just going to follow me. And Jesus says, I know who they are. I know you. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jay mentioned in Bible class that Christianity is the only world religion that teaches that God came to earth for the purpose of saving his people so that they could spend an eternity with him in heaven. Think about what that means. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 14. I know my own and my own know me just as my father knows me and I know my father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your mistakes. But he knows that he loves you. And that he wants you to be right with him. And so he says, I lay down my life so that you can have life. I know you because I made you. I know there's been mistakes that you've made. 
I know there are things that if you could go back in time and you could erase all those mistakes and get rid of them in your life, you would do them. And you can't, but you want to get rid of those things and you don't know how. Jesus says, I know that. And so I lay down my life to get rid of those things. I know that you're kicking yourself every day because you can't get past uh, the pain of, of, of dumb things that you've done. I know that. And I lay down my life to get rid of those things so that you can choose to follow me. Jesus paints the contrast between the Pharisees and himself and his attitude towards the sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, but sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired man and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my, I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus says these Pharisees aren't really concerned about you. They like the position of leadership. They like the position of authority. But when danger comes, they're not going to do anything to save you. But I will. Because I know you. And I love you. Jesus says, God's not making, the Father's not making me die for you. He says, I lay down my life on my own initiative. For I've received this commandment. God wants him to do it. But Jesus says, even though the Father has told me this is what the plan is, this is what I want you to do, Jesus says, I do it on my own initiative. I do it because I want to. And the Father loves me because I love you enough to do that. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the concept of God the Father and God the Son, and I know it's hard for us to understand all of that, but at some point, uh, as Jesus is explaining here in John chapter 10, apparently God the Son, Jesus, and God the Father, however they did it, God said, Son, this is my creation, and Jesus says, I was right there with you. I'm concerned about these, create, these people we've made, where they're at, the sin that has separated them from you and I. We need to make a sacrifice, and Jesus says, I'll do it. God says, I love them to death. Jesus says, I do too. And so he says, I lay down my life on my own initiative. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I am the good shepherd and I'm willing to give my life. Verse 17, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This is the commandment I received from my Father. That's how deeply Jesus cares and loves for you. And how much the Father cares and loves you. And so Jesus says, I'm not like these Pharisees. They're in it to control, 
to have authority, to restrict for their own purposes, their own glory, their own gain. I am the shepherd that cares for my sheep, even to the point of willing to die so that you might have life. As we think about the example of Jesus' shepherding, we find the awesome responsibility of what it is to shepherd God's people. We see in the example of Jesus the principles of Christian leadership in this passage. Later on, Peter's going to say in 1 Peter chapter 5, as he speaks to the elders of the church, he says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, knowing that Jesus is sheep, chief, chief shepherd. Well, come again. It's going to require it from you. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. And so there is a standard of shepherding that we see in Jesus that is the standard, Peter says, that we need to follow as we think about shepherding and leading the flock, the church today. Godly leaders need to be recognizable to the flock. Not everyone who tries to climb over the wall is a shepherd. And the flock can tell who they should follow and who they should not. The sheep are willing to follow because they trust the person. Because they recognize the shepherding qualities of the individual. Jesus calls the sheep by name and they recognize his voice. Therefore, they are willing to follow him. And in the same way, as we think about leadership in the church... Jesus is describing a relationship between himself as a shepherd and the fold and the flock. And shepherds today need to be recognized by the flock, by the church. Say, this is someone we can trust. This is someone that we know. A relationship that exists. Christian leaders ought to have a genuine concern for the sheep. He's not just a hired hand that will be a good leader why things are good, but he's willing to stand up and protect the flock in times of danger. He's willing to lead the church. God had a heavy standard for leadership in the Old Testament. There's any number of passages we can go to where God speaks harshly of shepherds who don't shepherd the flock and are more concerned about themselves. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 21. Zechariah chapter 10, verses 2 through 3. But to me, one of the most scary passages in the Bible is Ezekiel chapter 34, in which Ezekiel spends the entire chapter talking about the false shepherds of Israel. We don't have time to read all of the chapter, but look at verse 4, Ezekiel chapter 34. We'll start in verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and severity you have dominated them. Look at the end of the chapter. Verse 20, God says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with the side and the shoulders and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. 
Therefore I will deliver my flock, and they will no longer be a prey. And I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. An allusion, I believe, to Jesus. And he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places around my heel a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their own season and they will be showers of blessing. Verse 30, Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. As for you, my sheep, the shepherd, the sheep of my pasture, you are men and I am your God, declares the Lord God. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's not just making up some new analogy. I believe he's reflecting back on the idea of the good shepherd that we see throughout the Old Testament but especially in Ezekiel chapter 34, where you have those evil shepherds who decided to mislead and to misguide and to not care for the flock of Israel, the prophets, the priests of Ezekiel's day, and perhaps the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And the shepherd that was to come, the good shepherd, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm not concerned about abusing the fold, getting out of it what I can. I'm here to heal and to feed and to clothe. Jesus says, that's who I am. And that's the type of shepherding that Jesus wants for his church. Those who are going to run after those who are missing. Those who are going to go out and find those who are sick and comfort them. Those who are hungry and to feed them. When we think about our task as Christians today and as the church today, we need to be earnestly concerned and caring for the lost and seek them out. We need to think about those who have been hurt and abused and beat up, who consider themselves to be sheep of God, and we need to seek them out and bring them back and love them and care for them. Ezekiel chapter 34 is a scary chapter for anyone who would claim to be a shepherd. I'm talking about preachers and teachers and deacons and elders, anyone who would place themselves in a position of leadership. Because that is the standard of leadership that God wants. The ones that seek out and heal and care and love and restore. And not just someone who says, I'm the boss. This is the way it's going to be. Jesus says, that's the difference between my shepherding and the shepherding of men. If you're here today and you want to be led by the shepherd that loves you and cares for you and wants you to be whole, wants to heal you, wants to get rid of the disease in your spiritual life and to be right with God, Hear the voice of Jesus. Hear him call and follow him. If that's what you need to do this morning, won't you come? Let's together we stand and sing.